This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. It's called Because I Said So, and I'm your host, John Roseman. I'm a Family psychologist, author, syndicated columnist, public speaker, husband of 49 years. How about that? And father of two 40-something-year-olds and grandfather to seven, six boys and a girl, ranging in age from nine to, uh, what is it, 21, I believe. And uh, my wife and I this week have our 19-year-old grandson with us. He's a freshman at the University of North Carolina, and he decided that instead of going home for spring break, he would come to see his grandparents and stay with them. Uh, Wow. I mean, that was really uh, honoring, I will tell you. Actually, I think he decided to come stay with his grandparents rather than go home is because his parents, unlike my wife and myself, will not let him sleep until 2 o'clock in the afternoon, (laughs) which I understand college students do if they are allowed to do it when they come home on break. I don't remember sleeping that much when I was in college. I really don't. Maybe I've just got a faulty memory, but I was doing too much stuff. Life was too exciting, and so I was up and out of bed early, generally speaking. I'm sure that... There were mornings on weekends, especially if it was freezing cold outside. I went to Western Illinois University where the wind chill factor was often in the wintertime down below zero. I mean, well below zero, like 60 degrees below zero. I'm sure that on those days where one did not go outside except at one's peril that I did, in fact, sleep in, as they say. But not generally speaking. Anyway, um, I'm going to start off with somewhat of an explanation. I've been gone for the last two weeks. My recording system here in my office went down, and I was unable to record the show one week, and then I got deathly ill and was unable to record the show. And I am still not completely up to par, so you don't want to get too close to your radio because you might get what I've got, you know, but I'll promise not to sneeze or cough during the show. Anyway, you can probably hear the congestion in my throat. I live in New Bern, North Carolina, which is over by the coast, and this thing, whatever it is, seems to be going around. Doctors have not given it a name. I have not seen a doctor personally. Some of my friends have, and one doc said it was just a bad cold, and the other said it was a variation on the flu. I had a flu shot back in the fall, but apparently didn't uh, cover this particular viral spectrum. Anyway, I am back this week, and uh, raring to go. And this week, a friend of mine who lives in California, who lives in uh, the suburbs of Los Angeles, His name is Jack. He sent me a, uh, people do this all the time, by the way. They send me material. It's it's wonderful because I don't have to do a whole lot of research. He sent me this 
blurb that apparently has been, uh, you know, traveling around on the Internet. Uh, I guess the the term is going viral. I don't know if it's actually achieved that status, but um, a, a news piece about the fact that uh, the principal of an elementary school outside of Sacramento in Folsom, Colorado, where Johnny Cash recorded a very famous album at Folsom Prison. Uh, no connection there at all, folks. That was just totally random because I, I am a huge music guy. A, uh, my wife tells me I'm a treasure trove of musical trivia, which uh, probably is not to my advantage. It, uh, the older I get, the, 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 the less of an advantage that is. I can answer any rock and roll question that you ask just about. I mean, dig down deep. Who played bass on a certain album? Oh, I know that guy, Jack Bruce, you know, or something like that. But anyway, the principal of an elementary school in Folsom, California, Gold Hills Elementary School, recently decided last week, apparently, to ban playground activities such as tag and flag football. Why? Because certain kids were not just tagging. They were shoving other kids to the ground and just being generally too rough. And so, because four or five kids were a problem, the principal, a guy named David Frankel, has banned at Gold Hills Elementary School in Folsom, California, tag and flag football and any other activity playground activity during recess, or I guess before after school as well, that uh, involves uh, any sort of physical contact, uh, even tagging or ripping a flag out of some kid's waist. And so anyway, my friend Jack sends me this and he uh, he laments that uh, this principal has done this. Well, Okay, so I thought about this. My first reaction was, well, this is an overreaction. But then I began to think about this. And here's what I concluded after some cogitation. I concluded that Principal Frankel has done the right thing. He has done the sensible thing. He has done the commonsensical thing. He has done the right thing administratively. And there are all manner of reasons why. Number one, and perhaps the most significant reason, is that obviously there are four or five kids who are using these activities as an excuse to push other children and generally get overly physical with other kids. I don't, you know, I don't know if that uh, rises to the level of bullying or not, but you know, thinking back on my elementary days, there there were kids like this, you know, there were kids who would take opportunities like tag and uh, touch football or whatever and dodgeball and try and hurt people. And so here is a situation where in Folsom California at Gold Hills Elementary School, there's a group of kids, undoubtedly boys, 
who are taking advantage of tag and flag football and dodgeball, et cetera, et cetera, and using those activities as an excuse to get overly rough with other kids. So in uh, 1958, you know, when I was in the sixth grade or thereabouts, if a group of kids were getting rough on the playground and you went home and you complained to your parents, uh, you know, we were playing tag and Billy purposefully shoved me into a wall or something like that or or knocked me down and uh, etc. Your parents would say, then don't play. And uh, that would be the end of it. Aha. Today, however, and, and I hear this kind of stuff, folks, from principals all over the country. I mean, I speak in schools, secular, Christian, parochial, all over America. And this is the kind of stuff I hear behind closed doors. They always close their doors when they tell me this kind of stuff from principals in schools of all ilk across America, that today, if a child goes home and complains about this sort of thing, getting pushed during tag by another kid, the parents storm into the school indignant, a raising cane, threatening to sue, accusing the school of tolerating bullying, etc., etc., and it just isn't worth it for principals who have better things to do to deal with these parents who are overreacting upon uh, at the advent of the slightest physical insult done to their children on the playground or anywhere else at school for that matter. I mean, if a child at Gold Hills Elementary does get hurt during tag, I guarantee you, well, I don't guarantee it, but there is a probably 85 to 90% chance that the school is going to be sued. And so, Principal David Frankel has done, as I said before, the commonsensical, sensible, intelligent thing. Rather than deal with indignant parents who are overreacting, perhaps, to the slightest physical insult done to their idols on the playground, Principal Frankel has simply banned tag, dodgeball, touch football, flag football, and any other uh, playground activity that may involve some possibility of physical contact. Good for you, Principal Frankel. And I am sorry. I mean, I'm not personally apologizing, but I am sorry that your decision has brought this mockery from around the country down on your head. It is certainly not deserved. You know, principals have told me, Folks, I mean, uh, one principal used these words, John, I feel like my job is primarily to keep the lawyers from coming in the door. We live in a litigious culture, folks, and there is no one more inclined to be litigious than the parent of a child whom 
the parent has made into an idol if that child gets hurt somewhere other than the home. So, uh, having said that, we're going to take a break. Uh, Again, the show is called Because I Said So. We're on American Family Radio every single Saturday afternoon at 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Central, and you can do the math from there. And we will be back in a few. Please stay with us. More to come. So welcome back to the show. Again, it's called Because I Said So. We're all about parenting, which is why I chose that title, because uh, I'm all about traditional, biblically-based parenting, the kind of parenting that took place in America before the psychological parenting revolution of the late 60s and early 1970s ruined child-rearing in America And probably the phrase most closely associated with pre-1960s parenting is because I said so, which is nothing but, by the way, an affirmation of the legitimacy of your authority as a parent. In the, uh, let's see, it was the late uh, 1970s, well, no, it was the mid-1970s, I was executive director of the early intervention program at the Gaston Lincoln Mental Health Center, a community mental health center in Gastonia, North Carolina. And I was um, invited to attend a positive parenting workshop, positive parenting. Uh, You'll have to forgive my congestion, folks. I realize that every once in a while I sound like Elmer Fudd or somebody. So I attend this positive parenting workshop, which was a, uh, a philosophy of parenting that stressed the child's supposed need for high self-esteem, which was uh, supposedly instilled in children by praising them a lot and creating positive experiences for them, the sorts of experiences where they would never lose, get a trophy for sitting on the bench uh, through the entire season and uh, so on and so forth, and downplayed the role that discipline played in the development of the child's character, morality, ethics, and so on. And I went to this um, two-day seminar given by this positive parenting professor, and I thought, in in the mid-1970s, I thought it was absolutely absurd and ridiculous. And and mind you, folks, I I was 30 years old, maybe, maybe 29 when this happened, and I already knew Uh, Because I had, by that point in time, an eight- or nine-year-old child and another who was five or six, I absolutely knew that nothing that these people were promoting, no aspect of their child-rearing philosophy was grounded in any substantial reality whatsoever. And I did not make, you know, I I tend, I have been all my life 
and it's gotten me into trouble over and over and over again. I tend to be a very outspoken guy. And I told the guy that I had two children and I was dealing with the reality on a day-to-day basis of being a parent and that nothing that he was talking about was grounded in reality, that it was all unhelpful and even hurtful. And needless to say, I was not his favorite pupil from that point in the program on. But uh, this is the kind of stuff that America's parents began ingesting. The mental health professional community got behind this positive parenting philosophy and began force-feeding it to America's parents at every possible opportunity. And those kids, when they grew up, they passed it along to their kids and uh, and their kids are, you know, now entering college and in college. And, for example, my two oldest grandchildren are both in college, and I've got uh, two more grandchildren who are right on the cusp of going to college. And it is not difficult for anybody who can think rationally and clearly to conclude anything other than these kids today have absolutely no emotional resilience whatsoever. Uh, They can't tolerate disagreement. They uh, claim such things as disagreements constitute what they call microaggressions. I think I told the story on the air a few weeks back of being in a conversation with a young woman I was out to, my wife and I were out to dinner with her and her parents, and unfortunately, even though she was in her early 20s, she tagged along, and she said something during dinner, something outrageous, something ill-informed, something that was not correct, and her parents were there, and I guarantee you that I am a very gracious person in a social situation of that sort. And so I very graciously simply pointed out to her what the facts were. And she accused me of bullying her. I mean, she really did. She said, you're bullying me. And I looked at her and said, you're, I'm bullying you. I'm simply sharing information with you in the hopes that this will be helpful to you and that you might reconsider the opinion that you just expressed at the table. You're bullying me. And I mean, that that pretty much ended the conversation at the table. But, you know, I think back on that and I think that this response on her part was typical of people in her generation. You know, I was truly bullied as a kid in elementary school and even part of high school. I was, you know, I was outspoken. I was a smart aleck. I couldn't let any remark go unresponded to. And so, although I had, you know, a good number of friends, I also made a good number of enemies And the enemies that I made happened to be natural-born bullies. 
And I would dare say that in my elementary school, I was chased home from school more often than any other kid. And sometimes the kid or kids who were chasing me home caught up with me and inflicted physical damage to my person. And I remember going home and complaining about this to my to my mother and my stepfather. And their response was, you know, learn to stay away from these kids. Stop antagonizing them. Take responsibility for this. Don't expect us to solve your problems. And if we were to intervene, we guarantee you that it might stop for a while and then start up again. And when it started up again, it would be even worse. And, you know, I learned because my parents wouldn't, and I I imagine that, in fact, a a sort of a threshold would have been, could have been reached that's, and that would have persuaded them that they really did need to intervene. But that threshold was obviously fairly high. And I talked to other guys in in my generation, and a lot of us were bullied. And we just learned to deal with it. I mean, we took different routes home because everybody walked to and from school in those days. Uh, Nobody's parents drove you. Even in a snowstorm, they wouldn't drive you. And school was not called off. (laughs) Not in Chicago. Not in the suburbs of Chicago. We all agree that these kinds of experiences, you know, although we certainly would not want to repeat them, that ultimately they turned out to be positive experiences in our lives because we just developed a certain amount of emotional resilience that obviously does not reside in today's kids and to a significant but somewhat lesser degree does not reside in their parents' generation. And I'm talking about my grandchildren's generation and my children's generation. This is so extremely unfortunate for America. It it really and truly is, because I say this all the time. Look, the way we raise children determines the strength of America. America's strength depends on strong child-rearing practices that produce emotionally resilient human beings who take responsibility for their own lives and do not look to authority figures to solve their problems. I said a number of years ago in my newspaper column, I think I said this probably 30 years ago, that if we continued to raise children the way children were being raised in the early 1980s. And believe me, I could see the handwriting on the wall. I began to call them generation entitlement back then that these kids were going to grow up and they were going to look to two sources to perpetuate their sense of entitlement, their narcissistic sense of entitlement. Source one, the government. And we have seen that, haven't we? I mean, these kids overwhelmingly vote for politicians who promise them entitlements and uh, source number two, their employers. And indeed, I talk to employers all over America who tell me uh, even I even talk to military officers who tell me this, that today's young employees and today's young military members of the military 
seem to believe that uh, no good deed should go unrewarded. And who, if they feel like they are being mistreated in the workplace and the threshold for the definition of mistreatment has dropped almost to the ground, will call their parents and complain, who in turn call the workplace or even call their commanding officers in the military and complain. And it all started in the 1970s with positive parenting. And have you ever heard any spokesperson for the psychological community in America say we were wrong? No, and you never will. It's been another episode of Because I Said So with your host, John Roseman. Please continue to listen to us every Saturday afternoon, 6 o'clock Eastern Time, 5 o'clock Central. Glad you could join us and hope you can join us next week. Thanks a lot and God bless.